you're trying to hash out here with this, um, with your, your new articles, uh, a question arises as to why the, uh, not only why did the, did these bureaucrats act this way to essentially allow the, to facilitate and conceal the presence of these dangerous terrorists from, uh, the, the relevant authorities, but why has this issue been not hashed out by the media, even much, even the alternative media, uh, the, the sort of mainstream alternative media of like Democracy Now!, Nation, Jacobin, Intercept, there, they don't really dive deeply into these subjects. What, what do you think that's about? Yeah, well, you know, this issue is radioactive for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, part of the 9-11 truther movement um, was kind of subsumed by a lot of you know, wacky people, wacky personalities, and pretty abrasive people shouting that, oh, well, you know, there were no planes, and, you know, the hijackers aren't even real. Bin Laden doesn't even exist. It was uh, shit-coded. Don't, don't forget about the energy beam weapons. That's another great yeah, and all yeah, The holograms the, and all that. The Jewish space lasers and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, it was shit-coded completely to the point where if you talked about 9-11, well, then you were just associated with those people. And so even, you know, good researchers like Kevin Finton – you know, they ended up being burnt out by the fact that they had to deal with all these loonies when they talked about 9-11. And a lot of whom are uh, in, uh, have to be plants. Ha- Not I mean, all. Have, some of them, There are kooks, for sure. Uh, there, there were some, uh, you know, like the, thing, like the Alex Jones types. Elizabeth who, Wood also, she's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all those people, they, they make talking about 9-11, like, impossible. And... You know, you have this conspiracy let's say, let's say, theorist Let's say meme. difficult. Difficult. <laughs> yeah, very difficult. And you have this conspiracy theory meme uh, that's been so prevalent in our society ever since the Kennedy assassination. Uh, it's to the point we're talking about state criminality, that the state might be behind, might be behind some of the worst, uh, you know, uh, events in our history. It became, it became completely taboo. And... Most mainstream media people, they understand the bounds of what you can and can't talk about, be that criticizing American wars, talking about uh, straight state criminality, or, or anything. They understand these bounds. They're there because they understand those bounds. And so they're not going to you know, put themselves and their career on the line to talk about a serious issue, even if it is, like, you know, plainly staring us in the face, because that label conspiracy theorist is so powerful that, uh, you know, it can wreck someone's career. And you've even seen that with Seymour Hirsch. I mean, like, Seymour Hirsch is called, like, a, you know, a discredited conspiracy theorist, despite the fact that his track record is, you know, it's pretty, pretty solid. Like, it's not I mean, perfect. And at, at times, he has been a conspirator with people like Bill Colby, you know, when they leaked things to try to get Angleton fired. So that you could say that's a benevolent conspiracy, but, uh, I mean... You know, it's a, it's a funny it's funny that, that he gets taken to task for that, of all people, when, if anything, his time at The New York Times and The New Yorker. I mean, there's a lot of people like Oliver. He mentions in his memoir, Seymour Hersh, does that Oliver said, like, yeah, you're CIA. People warned me about you. Right. Which Oliver <laughs> was probably not being as polite as he could have been. But that's, you know, that's part of his thing, I think, is he feels like he could say what he wants, which is a little refreshing. So, yeah, you don't want to be you don't want to be tired with that brush. The other part of it is that, like. It's so what it really is, it's a conspiracy theory taboo, as you correctly point out, and it is very powerful. It's a meme of sorts, you know, like Lance has argued. I think that's exactly right. And when it gets down to it, though, and you break it down by its logic, 
it's like you can talk about it's not that we don't accept that conspiracies exist because we know that the 9-11 plot, even the government story is that it was a conspiracy. OK, so it's people know that there are conspiracies in the world and it's not that they're against the idea that there are state conspiracies, because, of course, you know, Russia and Putin, he intervenes and conspires to steal our elections and, and manipulate our media all the time. So it's not that's OK, too. You can actually theorize about other states conspiring to commit crimes. What it really is, is uh, it's a it's a coded it's a coded religious uh, element of dogma that that the state is not this malevolent, dark fascist force secretly. <laughs> I think is what it comes down to. It's like that's when they say conspiracy theory, a lot of times that's really what they mean. They're saying you're positing that the, that that the pinnacle of power in this in this society is is conspiratorial and, and sinister. And that's and that's really, I think, the source of the, the taboo. It's not even because it doesn't actually conform to any logic based on syntax and denotative meaning of words. Yeah. And, and, you know, Lance DeHaven Smith talks about this in his book, Conspiracy Theory in America. He says, well, when people say conspiracy theory or label people conspiracy theorists, it has nothing to do with the actual facts of what they're saying. It, it You know, regardless of whether or not the facts add up or whether or not they don't, uh, the label conspiracy theorist is used to determine or used to denote when someone has, uh, you know, crossed the boundaries of what is considered to be acceptable by the powers that be in that society. And when they suggest that government officials and, you know, the media are doing something that doesn't conform to the prevailing myths about what those institutions are supposed to be doing. If we suggest that, you know, uh, Russia is about to plan a false flag attack on, you know, the Zaporozhia nuclear power plant, well, that's totally acceptable. You know, you can go on CNN and suggest that. You can talk about it to your heart's content because in our institutions, that's what Russia is supposed to be doing. Russia's the big, bad evil, and uh, you know there's nothing that they won't do. But if you suggest that the U.S. Is, you know uh, is involved in a false flag attack or has ever been involved in a false flag attack, well, then you the the amount of evidence you would need to even get in the door to talk to somebody is so extreme that it makes it impossible. You can't go out and say it unless you have a smoking gun of Antony Blinken saying, I'm going to, you know, do this false flag attack. Uh, and even then, that might not be enough. So the the bars are so different that it, it implicitly excludes so much important information. And you see that, again, with these Canistrero files, uh, with the, the Canistrero Declaration. It's, it's only been reported in, like, a handful of places. And, you know, we, we talked about some of the alternative press. Uh, Jacobin is one of the only, you know— I'm going to call mainstream leftist uh, publications that actually took this issue seriously. And, uh, and that's, you know, Bronco Marchetich, who's been on this show and, you know, who's, you know, we're friendly with, he has been writing about this stuff in, in, in a serious way and in a way that no one else in the leftist press is, is attempting to do. No one else yeah. in the mainstream progressive uh, movement is talking about this. Yeah. Some people, some of my listeners will, uh, disparage Bronco, and I'm sometimes critical of, of Jacobin, but I actually think he's trying to fight the good fight there as best he can. And it's to have any institutional support at all, you're going to have to submit to some kind of editorial control. And I think that they are, to some degree, influenced by the prevailing ethos of the of the left and the sort of ideology that prevails on the U.S. left. And so, I give him credit for 
pushing the boundaries in his own way and kind of opening people's minds about things like Ukraine. And even on JFK, he's written things that are interesting and more provocative, but not what I would write. But like, I wish that among other things, people would be a little, uh, a, a, a little bit more sensible about thinking about the institutional context and the sociological context that people are trying to do this work in, because it is very, very difficult to do anything with no institutional support. And so somebody who is trying to do some good things, uh, I think you, you want to give them, you, you want to look at the, uh, at what they're up against and what they are able to do, not just fixate on what they don't do, which is sometimes considerable. Yeah. And, and like, like you said, like the fact that they're existing in this institutional constraints and they're still able to publish stuff that, you know, genuinely talks about the connections between, you know, uh, Bandar and George Tenet, you know, if you're able to get that out there, I'm like, that's miles, miles beyond what other uh, papers are willing to do, uh, even though they have considerably more resources and uh, more sources at their disposal they could utilize in this kind of reporting. Uh, they choose not to do it. And, uh, and and that's really what I wanted to focus on in my first article about it, is that the mainstream media is incapable. Well, not incapable, but uh, highly averse. You think they're allergic to talking about these issues. And uh, examining why that is, the again, the conspiracy theory meme, and you have the propaganda model in manufacturing consent that talk, talks about the institutional pressures that prevent certain facts from getting discussed. Uh, yeah. I think that that could be very helpful uh, to someone who, uh, you know, doesn't really understand 9-11 or hasn't really tried to understand 9-11 and the, uh, the the weirdness surrounding it. I think using the media as a lens to uh, talk about the institutional pressures is very useful. It helped me a, a lot in, when I was learning about the way the American empire works. You know, you read... Uh, you go back and look at the coverage of, you know, the lead up to the Iraq war and you, you go back and look at the things that they talked about, the things that they assumed were true, the sources that they took at face value, uh, the, the questions that they didn't ask. And you compare that to the reality on the ground and the actual facts that were available to people at the time. Well, it tells you that, well, the media sometimes is completely running in lockstep with the state. And they do this for you know, their their own reasons. Sometimes they're direct spooks, but other times they just don't want to rock the boat. And that's all understandable from a you know sociological perspective. But the effect of that is to contribute to this propaganda system that we all live in. And yeah. so using nine eleven to bust through that, I think, is a useful endeavor. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.